We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Wilson. Today, I am here with my guest, Michael Solomon, who has uh, become a good friend of mine through our through a partnership for, through uh, Sidelines Yukon. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here, Bobby. Awesome, man. Uh, go ahead and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, I, I'm a UConn grad from a long time ago, more decades than anybody wants to know, um, and been involved in UConn in different ways. But just recently, I took over as the um, as the administrator of uh, Sidelines uh, Sidelines Network UConn, um, which is a Twitter site, and we talk all things UConn, um, even go outside of sports occasionally. Um, but it's just a great. It's just a great way to, to talk about the things that I love, which is all UConn sports, um, recruiting and different things like that. So for me, it's just been a, a fun little um, labor of love to be doing it. And Bobby and I got together on a, on a partnership um, through his podcast, and um, we help each other out in many different ways. Bobby has so much knowledge about football that's a little bit that I don't have. Um, and so it's just been a terrific partnership. That's awesome. And I, I truly, truly appreciate that. I think it's just been really, really fun to just talk about uh, all things UConn, talk about uh, the upcoming opponents and everything. And and I, everybody, I, I think everybody's looking at UConn this year or from the past five-year microscope, I guess you could say. And uh, I, I, just this episode, I'm really, really looking forward to diving in much further than that. And I think you're the perfect person for us to do that with. Great. Looking forward to it. And, and fire any questions you want at me, and um, I'll give you the best um, insight I can from inside and, and as a fan perspective as well. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's going to be like the first question I would have is from a fan's perspective um, and a UConn grad perspective, obviously the past couple of years have been difficult, but there, there's a ton. There's obviously a ton of support for the program. the The facilities are amazing. Um, there's financial uh, support for the for the coach and the the head coach and the coaching staff. So, I guess the first thing what what are your thoughts on uh, the upcoming head coaching search? You know, that's it's going to be fascinating. Um, uh, our athletic director Benedict. Um, has been pretty secretive about it. I mean, maybe the media knows something, but the way he's handled other coaching vacancies, whether it's been football in the past, and he hasn't necessarily made the, the really good decisions on football, but he made a great decision with Kevin Ollie for a year when we won a national championship in basketball, but that he struggled with that. He's since hired Dan Hurley um, as men's basketball coach, and I think the entire 
fan base, UConn Nation, is thrilled with Dan Hurley overall. Um, oh, absolutely. Managed to stand phenomenally well. Yeah, he's had nationally ranked recruiting classes. We're, national, we're back in the national rankings again. So um, he tends to be kind of quiet about what he does. So there hasn't been tons on the coaching aside. Um, I I personally happen to like the, the new interim coach, uh, Spanos. Um, I mean, he comes from a great lineage of, of, of pro and, and uh, pro in college. I mean, Atlanta, the Titans, UCLA, the Washington football team, the Steelers. A lot of that. Um, a lot of the teams he's been with have been very good. He was the uh, defensive coordinator, um, and he's done a decent job since he's taken over. I thought the, the game against Wyoming was pretty good. Um, but if, he did, if they don't go to um, Spanos, it'll be interesting to see which direction he does choose to go in. Um, does he go with a he, – he definitely wants charisma, and he's talked about that. Does he go with a name coach, or does he go with um, a young and up-and-coming, perhaps more charismatic, uh, lower-level – FBS coach? Does he go in the in the lower ranks in FCS? I don't think we quite know that yet. And UConn's had a lot of good coaches run through its ranks. Um, we've had the guy Moorhead, who was the coach of Mississippi State and is now with Oregon. I just don't think he's going to come back. I don't think that's a plus for him in his career. Um, but there's some others. There's a guy named Todd Orlando, who's now with uh, USC. He was with a variety of other schools such as you know Houston and Utah State and even Texas for a little while um, but I tend to think he might go with program builders people who have been known to do major rebuilds and there's a bunch of coaches and I could t- go and length them on if you want but I think at the end of the day um, this is a major major hire I don't think UConn football is in danger of like imploding and, and being taken away. There's been too many investments put into it, but I do think this is a major hire. And if this were to fail, a lot of blocks might come tumbling down. I, I agree with that, and uh, uh, with a lot of the points you just hit on, I think I think it's really. I, I, it's something you and I have discussed at length, just messaging back and forth about the coaching situation and and I, how secretive it is and how quiet it is. And I, I, I think that it could go in so many different directions, like you said. And it's just uh, really, really intriguing to see, see how that's going. And I, I personally think that like the ba- how basketball is doing. I know I've talked about this before on my podcast where the, a lot of the basketball programs are hiring alumni big name alumni to coach their programs i.e michigan memphis schools like that hiring uh alumni i i just wonder if football's ever going to go in that direction um obviously the name that pops to mind is Deion sanders and i've talked about that before but from uconn i i don't know if there's really too many too many guys that are in the coaching profession or look, looking into that, I mean, the first name that comes to mind is something you and I have talked about a little bit, Dan Orlovsky. But uh, I, I, I personally don't see that happening, and I think you agree with that from what we've said before. But Yeah, you know, I, Orlovsky's a, a very well-known name. He's a national name through ESPN. Right. He's a very articulate guy. He's charismatic. He's 
be loved in, in Connecticut, you know, and in the region, whether he wants to go into coaching or not, whether this is his best choice to step into the coaching ranks. Um, I will say this though, and, and it's, um, it's, it may sound very basic and it may sound trivial, but money talks. And if UConn wants to put in, you know, a good two or $3 million offer to someone, that's going to attract a lot of people. Whether they're the right people, I don't know. Um, would a guy like Moorhead, for example, uh, be interested in a $3 million contract and, and get it guaranteed for four or five years? Um, you know, Krzyzewski uh, considered a huge, huge contract with L.A., and he was never going to leave Duke. So, like, money does talk, and, and uh, there certainly aren't that many seven-figure con- uh, seven jobs out there that people are um, uh, that people can get a hand on, and this is one. And the expectations are kind of low for UConn. They have great, they have top of the line. I mean, literally elite P5, right at the top of P5 uh, facilities. The Burton Center is as good as it gets. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and Absolutely. I'm not overstating it. I mean, it's a it is a top of the line set of facilities that they have. Um, but there's no conference affiliation, you know. There's some recruiting downsides. It's not the most fertile. They have to move out out of region, you know, into Jersey, Pennsylvania. Uh, we've gotten really hot in Texas and and um, and Florida, but it's not great for recruiting. So there's there's upsides and downsides to the job. But a, a two million dollar salary that might influence some pretty good coaches. Absolutely. That's a really good point. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, if they're willing to offer somebody two or three million dollars, I, I, I think a lot of people are going to listen to that. And I, I think one of the points that you brought up at the beginning is I, I think Spanos, like you said, has done a fantastic job. I mean, what, what he took over was a, a mess to put it, to put it, to be straightforward about it and what and what he's been able to do i mean they they've looked pretty good the past couple of weeks and i mean against wyoming i that was a good football game that was i enjoyed watching that game yeah uh, for again for all the kind of twitter chatter and social media stuff that goes on it was a good game uh, there were uh, major um major stops in the red zone um that's a decent rushing team. I mean, I think that uh, Wyoming was 54th in the nation in rushing. We gave up 203 yards, but for a young team without his primary nose tackle, um, mm-hmm. Travis Jones, who was out, um, I thought we did pretty well. Um, obviously, the quarterback, you know, the new quarterback situation helps us a lot. Um, 100%. Spanos and, and the new guy, uh, Noel, um, have re-energized the team. It, it'll be fascinating to see at the end of the day how we do against an SEC team. Let's put it that way. This is a really big game. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I, I went on my, on the last episode of my podcast. I went as far as to say that I I actually guarantee that they'll win that game. I I really do. I really think that they're going to come out like you said, energized, ready to go. And I, I think that if they perform at the level that they performed at last week, I think they win that game. 
would be really exciting. I mean, I, I don't, it's not a shock the world kind of game. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but for Connecticut, it would be more than a baby step. And I, they definitely have taken baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be like a, a, a really good step forward. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Vanderbilt's struggled. And they, went, they lost 62 to nothing. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a really tough loss. They were cr- they were crushed, right? Um, and I am not trying to kick them when they're down. I mean, they were truly crushed. Their two quarterbacks went what five for 18, 24 yards. I, I think um, I think Vanderbilt for the game ended up with I want to say it was seventy six or seventy eight yards. Yeah, and it's like 53, 53 yards on the ground. Now that's Georgia, right? It's right. A, yes. It's, it's a, Obviously, a very, very different thing. They've beaten East Tennessee State. Um, that's an FCS team. I'll, I'll kind of actually, actually, they lost that game. Did they lose to East Tennessee State? Yeah. Yep. They beat uh, Colorado State. They beat Colorado State, which yep. is a G five team, a decent G five. Yeah. They lost to yep. Stanford. Yep. Um, and then Georgia just came in and and. Um, you know, steamrolled them. It was a, it was Absolutely. a, it was a challenging game. So all said and done, and I mean, UConn certainly has a Holy Cross loss too. Right. I mean, that, right. You always have to write that off and just say that the team was in shell shock. And but I feel that they've gotten their sea legs together. And you know, after a year of not playing in COVID, um, there's a there's an energy. It, this this will be an interesting game. I, I you know there's it's I, like I can't stand up and say thank thank you for putting it out there. I, I'm not sure that I'm going to say they're going to win, but I think this is going to be a good game to watch. I agree. Um, I agree. And and I I think something important that a lot of people a lot of the people on Twitter and social media have been hitting have been piling on UConn. But I think one thing that really needs to be brought up is that. The team obviously hadn't played in almost two years. And the first five games that they played, the teams had a combined record of 18-3. and three. So they've, they've come out, they're battle-tested. They've played some good teams. Multiple teams are undefeated. They, they've played, I mean, Fresno State's fantastic. Wyoming's good. Um, Purdue is much better than we thought. Absolutely. So, so Notre Dame a great game. Absolutely. So I, I think that's something important that people need to – need to think about when they're talking about UConn is that yeah the those first couple games were were very bad but they they've played really good competition and now that now they're starting to these next couple games they're going up against some teams that are at their at their level so I think it's going to be really really intriguing to see uh, how they respond yeah and and for the new coach I think the opportunity is that, well, obviously we have you know we have a Clemson coming up. Although Clemson's struggling, Clemson is a much different program. Absolutely. Um, but we have a lot of really um, we have a lot of teams that are uh, games that are winnable, and we we'll bring the fan base back, and they get us in that over time six and six, seven and five, uh, eight and four kind of thing, which might get us in a bowl game, and that could just change the dynamics of UConn football in big ways. Plus, and, and, and I'm not being Pollyannish about this at all, I kind of believe that uh, re- realignment and reconfiguration in college football is not over. 
Absolutely. And if UConn can, over the next five years, begin to build this program up and be a, somewhat of a viable force in football, that might change the way we look, we're looked at for conference realignment down the road, too. Absolutely, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and I, I think that kind of leads leads into the next main topic that I re- really wanted to discuss would be the the uh, the past UConn pro- uh, teams that were very, very successful and that put UConn football on the map. Yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of misconceptions about UConn football and being on Twitter as I am so often I I hear a lot of things that are just um, totally out of skew Um, you would think that we were a gutter program and a dumpster fire since the day we were conceived and that really just isn't the case I mean if you really look at it first of all I'll just start out by saying we've been we have been nationally ranked we've been as high as 16 um that's one thing. I think that was in 2007 and then 2008. But this, the program started as a 1A program in 2002. By 2007, we were co-Big East champions with a good, with a reasonably good Big East group. I mean, it was West Virginia and Pitt and Cincinnati and Louisville. We, in 2010, we were co-Big East champions. Um, by the 2011, we, we had won the Big East and... We're in a BCS ball, the Fiesta ball. I think most people know that. Mm-hmm. But during that first part of the decade, we were three and one in bowl games, including a win over um, South Carolina from the SEC and Steve Spurrier. Beat them up pretty good. Uh, we've since then, by the way, we're three and three in bowl games. Um, our last one was 2015 with Marshall. Um, good game, 16 to 10. We were in it, like right to the bitter end. Um, but we've had a lot of really good P5 wins, t- teams that are in the P5 now. We have since we have since won. I mean, Notre Dame, West Virginia, Louisville, I think we have, we're 4-4 four four against Louisville um, in, in our history. Pitt, Syracuse, Rutgers, Cincinnati, USC, uh, Houston, Cincinnati, uh, South Carolina, Vanderbilt were 1-2. Um, we had three close games against them. We've beaten Baylor, um, Indiana, Iowa State. That's not a dumpster fire. That's a program that has had good wins. Now, I'm not going to suggest that we're at the, the upper echelon of the P5, but we've been competitive. Um, it's just been rougher the last four years, and there's no disputing that. I, I'll also throw this in. We have nine players in the NFL. Um, and that's more than a whole lot of what we call P5 teams. Uh, Wake, uh, Arizona State, Baylor, BYU, North, uh, Northwestern, Washington, Duke, Georgia Tech, um, Arizona. They all have less players in the NFL than we do. Um, this is a program that, through Randy Etzel and some other players, uh, Bob Diaco is, is not well loved, not particularly revered recruited and brought on kids who developed into good NFL players. Um, you know, we have a kid named Byron Jones is with the uh, Miami Dolphins. I think he's the highest paid quarterback, uh, cornerback in the NFL. We have a couple guys who are captains of their teams in the NFL. 
So a lot of good alumni have come through the program. It's got good history. It's, but the last five years, last three to five years have been really tough and, and it hangs over you uh, and it hangs over UConn and it hangs over the program in some, in some pretty compelling ways. And there's a time to draw the line and really turn it around. It's right now. Absolutely. And I mean, I, th- I think there's guys on this team right now that are going to play in the NFL, like Jones, the defensive, the nose tackle. I mean, he's fantastic. And the line, the linebacker, his name, his name's, uh, I I'm forgetting his name right now, but he leads the nation in tackles. I mean, there, there's some talented guys on the team. Yeah. Travis Jones, he's on the bed. Narzik. Um, right, right, right. Um, absolutely. And the fascinating thing about Travis Jones is he wasn't there for the Wyoming game. Right, um, right. Now, the difference between the really good P5 teams and UConn is they have depth. So if a Travis Jones gets hurt, they have somebody who can step in. We, it, who has real good high-end skills, we don't necessarily. Right. But nonetheless, um, I think the kids um, are stepping up. But to your point, to go back to your point, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think – Right now, we have some really, really good players who are um, making a difference. Um, but if you look at this year's team, I, I'll just throw this out, though. If you look at this year's team, 43 of the 57 uh, players who are on the two deep, you know, the, um, the depth chart, mm-hmm. they're freshmen and sophomores. Absolutely. Yes. And, and that means that means a lot, obviously, in, in any sport, but especially football, I think having a a heavy laden upperclassman team is just going to mean a lot more in, in football than more so in basketball and other sports. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just throw this out. You were talking about, um, Jackson Mitchell, um, the, the sophomore linebacker. Yes, yeah. He's yes. seventh in the country right now. Yes. I mean, he's, um, he's played really well. So we've had our moments. Um, but again, I think, a lot, a lot of things, and you've already talked about it. You talked about him so well um, in your last podcast. A confluence of of things that have made for a bad storm for UConn, and not playing uh, for a year hurt. It was a decision Randy made. It probably wasn't the best one, you know. Um, and then, of course, we get right into go to the West Coast and play Fresno, which is Fresno. They're really Fresno's good. Be, <laughs> really they're, good. Yeah, they're going to be in the talk. They're going to be in the in playoff talk potentially. Yeah, potentially, very much so. I mean, they they should have beat Oregon that game. They, it came down to the very end, and uh, we we've seen how good Oregon is. But first off, I I don't even know if they should have played that Fresno State game with how hot it was. But that's beside the point. Yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> um, I. I watched the first, you know, if you watch the first quarter of the game, UConn played really pretty well. Yes. They held yes. them. It was, uh, I think, I think they scored late in the first quarter. It was like 7 nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. But then it just seemed to me that they literally melted. Right. Figuratively and literally. <laughs> right, just right. just melted. And I think some of that might have been the, uh, the weather, although they didn't use it as an excuse. Absolutely, and and I think that comes to the point you made just a little bit ago, like the depth of 
of some of some of the other teams compared to UConn. I mean, I I, I think it, it's very apparent that that is one of UConn's main issues is the the depth of the program. I mean, like like you said that the, the the guys that are starting are talented players. It's just. It's just the when you go two or three deep after that is when it becomes a an issue, and that's that's going to be the next head coach and and the coaching staff in general. That's going to be the biggest the biggest thing for them, in my opinion, is just getting that depth. Yeah, the the real upside at the end of the day is we have a lot of young people. I mean, our whole bet, our key skill positions are all freshmen right now, at least this this week. Right. We do have a, a really good sophomore who um, on the wide receiving core, uh, Cam, who is uh, who's not playing, but we literally have the three wide receivers, our freshmen, our running back is kid from New York. He's been really good, Nate Carter. Um, and then, of course, the quarterback. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I would say that this is the most exciting quarterback we've had in a long, long time since Dan Orlovsky and mm-hmm. he's a, you know, a, a read option quarterback. So a lot of decisions are going to be his at the end of the day at the line. I thought he did for a freshman. He did really well. He didn't have his feet set all the time, mm-hmm. uh, made some off balance throws only had one interception, which I thought was terrific against a good, a good defensive Wyoming team. But the kid brings such a different dynamic, and and with with his feet and his speed, um, there's just a good amount to work with. So we're feeling we're feeling pretty good. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Vanderbilt deals with. Um, he's not an unknown, but they only have like one game film on him. Right, right, and and like you know? you, like you said, I mean. Uh, Tyler did play really well in that game. I agree with you. I thought he played really well too. I mean, I think the only the only bad play he made was that interception. But but like you said, I mean, he he gives him so so much energy and he lights a fire under them. And you can just see from the players and the interviews and the quotes that they're giving getting given out that 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 they love the guy. Yeah, and he's very poised. Absolutely. Um, for a freshman with a young line in front of him, uh, remarkably poised. I said to my wife over and over, I said, look at him. He's like, he's not panicking. Um, that's tough to do, you know, at the, at the college level. He came from a local prep school in, in Connecticut, Avon All Farms. Um, but still, like, this is another step up for him. And he did, yeah, he did great. I wasn't, he went 19 to 40, which... 170 yards it's not phenomenal but i was pretty pleased with that i think everybody was pretty pleased with it Abs- one interception one touchdown absolutely and, uh, I, and i mean some of those incompletions have been drops in in his defense um which is going to happen with a young receiving core um but the, the the other thing that i thought was absolutely fascinating i don't know I, I, you saw the game uh in that last drive wyoming had if I recall, at least two, maybe three pass interference calls. Absolutely. In that last drive. Yep, yep. Um, that's just a, a terrific credit to the uh, the wide receiving core. Absolutely. I mean, they, um, he was he was put he was putting the ball in the right place to 
for the receivers to make a play on it, and then it's a great job by the receivers to to get that call because I mean that that's that's part of playing the position is getting the calls. Yeah, and it, and it also means you're running your routes uh, particularly well and acute and uh, clearly. I thought they were pretty clear calls. I, I didn't feel like any of them were intensely controversial. Uh, so good reads, good routes. Um, there's just I, I think the thing that Spanos has done is just catch his team believing that their backs aren't necessarily against the wall because they're not facing anything, but their their pride is on the line, and you know their um, the the school you know the school tradition and everything else is in play here, and I. I, that's why I think Spanos might be a good choice. The, the only thing I, I often think of, and, and it may not be going through Benedict's mind, is there was a lot of um, fan support to hire Kevin Ollie mm-hmm. after Jim Calhoun resigned. And um, and by the way, within two years, Kevin Ollie had won a national championship, and everybody looked back at that and said, uh, see, we were right. It was just the, the perfect choice. But Kevin Ollie did have problems after that. Right, um, right. And I wonder if, if Benedict is looking at this saying, do I really want to go through another situation of hiring um, an underling of Randy's, you know, to bring on the team? So the, the, some, some interesting dynamics at play here to see how it all happens. Absolutely, 100%. And I... I I want to spend the last couple minutes of this episode uh, not talking about football, actually. My background, as I've said before, is in basketball. Obviously, from a basketball perspective, UConn is as good as it gets on the women's side, and they're a top-tier program on the men's side as well. And, And I just have to share a little bit of my stories when it comes to UConn basketball I grew up in Michigan. I'm from Flint, Michigan. I'm a diehard Detroit Pistons fan, and my favorite player of all time is Richard Rip Hamilton. I yeah. I even went so far as to model my free throw shooting routine after Rip Hamilton. Like I, 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 everything I did as a basketball player, I wanted to be like Rip Hamilton from the movement and the conditioning and everything, and just I I loved him as a player, and I still do. I I was at his jersey retirement night with the Pistons. Like he is. He is my favorite player of all time. And then another guy from UConn basketball, uh, Ryan Boatwright, is uh, from the same area where I went to high school. And he actually, at one point, was thinking about coming to my high school. He would have been a freshman in high school, my senior year of high school. He ended up going to another high school. But still, nonetheless, we, we, uh, we crossed paths, I guess you could say and played against each other in high school. But uh, another great UConn player, obviously. Part, another championship UConn player at that, too. Yeah, you know, Ryan's still playing ball. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm trying to think. It may be in the Ukraine um, or Paris. <laughs> All of a sudden, now I'm confusing. It might be Ukraine or Paris, but it doesn't matter. I know he's playing ball. Right, right. Um, I, I know he's overseas somewhere. I know that. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. You picked two terrific guards. Um, you know, 
Rip has a very, very, very special place in my heart. Um, uh, that was the, the 99 championship in, in Tampa, um, where the, the Rays play, by the way. Um, I was actually at that game um, as emotional a moment as, as I, and I've told you this, this emotional moment mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I talk about the marriage of my marriage and my birth of my two sons and the 99-77-73 game. Um, uh, Rip was the scorer of that championship. He was, um, he and he came back an extra year. The interesting thing about Rip is he really, there was a lot of pressure on him to actually go to the pros, mm-hmm. but he decided to come back. And his decision to come back with that kind of experienced team made made all the difference. Um, the thing about Ryan was he was with Shabazz. Yep. Yeah. Um, and those two little guards still pulled off the most remarkable in 2014, the most remarkable run I think the NCA has ever seen. I and mean, we did it with two guards and a reasonably good forward, you know, a, a swing forward. Um, it's a pretty remarkable team that Jim Calhoun put together. Uh, Jim Calhoun and uh, Kevin Ollie had put together to, to win the national championship. Um, I can be honest and tell you, I never saw 2014 coming. Uh, uh, they barely got past their the, – the very first game was against St. Joe's, and they barely won that game. Um, it took a remarkable play by Amita Bryant um, to hit a three-point basket with seconds left to to pull that out against St. Joe's, um, but yeah, UConn has a wonderful basketball tradition, and so many times I have heard, you know, Jim Calhoun isn't coming back, and UConn is dead. There's no way under Danny Hurley, things um, are have come back with, in a roar, and I'm not suggesting Danny Hurley is Jim Calhoun yet. He's got a long, long, long way to go before that ever happens, but he. He's a defensive-minded coach like him. He recruits similarly. They recruit four-star kids who are up and coming. Um, this is this is going to be some good years for UConn basketball um, on the men's side. The women's side, year in and year out, is just right. Right. The the women's side. I mean, I superlative. Yeah. I mean, there's there's none better. Um, I, I was at the the national championship game, uh, Brianna Stewart's last game. That, I, that was just a phenomenal, that, that team obviously is, might be the greatest of all time, maybe, but, uh, just, which, which year was that? Uh, say? Uh, I, I forget the year exactly, but it was Brianna Stewart's final year, final game. Oh yes. Yes. 2016. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, I, I was in Indy for that. Um, and just, I, I, funny, funny story. I've, I, I was co- when I coached women's college basketball. I was, I, had, I had seen Brianna Stewart coming up through the AAU circuit, and I just remember just watching her and just being like, that I've never seen any a, a female that could do the things that she, that she could do. It was just amazing, and then to just watch her grow as a player into what she is now as uh, the an MVP level player year in, year out is just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, I think 
without any bias that she's taken over the mantle as the best player in the world. 100%. I mean, yeah, um, I agree with you 100%. Um, she, you know, you have Candace Parker and Maya Moore was was there for a couple of years, but she's obviously gone on to, to do her work in, in um, for the greater good, you mm -hmm. know, with uh, all the kinds of things she's doing in human rights. But um, I think Brianna, Brianna has won at every level. It's not just WNBA. It's, right. it's internationally. Yep. Um, you know, in the off season when she's playing in Europe, her teams win. Bri Brianna's special. Absolutely. Absolutely. But by the way, you should watch this year's team um, for, for the UConn women. They are going to be extraordinary. Uh, because they not only have Paige Beckers coming back, but they have Ozzy Fudd, who herself is a generational player, um, and her best friend on top of it. Um, and you have everybody coming back. They, they got the, um, the best player in the Big Ten, mm -hmm. uh, a yep. woman named Dorka um, yep. from Ohio State. Yep. And that adds another, I think she's 6'4", six, 6'5". That she adds another huge presence. Um, UConn is loaded top to bottom. Absolutely. So South Carolina, but I actually right. think this is UConn's. I think this will be UConn's year. I couldn't agree more. And I, I know this is a college football podcast, but I just I, I couldn't I couldn't not talk about UConn basketball and just with the the affection that I have for a, a handful of the men's players and for the women's players as well. I couldn't just not talk about it. So, you know, I'll just kind of t t tie this back to football. UConn is a very good athletic school. Obviously men's, you know, on the men's side, we have four championships since 99. That's as many, that's more than any other team in college basketball. Um, the, the women are, are undeniably the best. Our, our baseball program under Penders is very, very good. They're an perennial NCAA team. They're always in contention to host a, a regional and a, and a super regional in some cases. Um, and we're good in soccer most years. Our field hockey team has been a national champion multiple, multiple times. This is a, this is a school that knows how to win. And even though football has always been more of a challenge, I still believe when you put you put the uh, financial forces together with uh, the athletic leadership and the kind of tradition that Connecticut has, being a little farm school, trust me, it's out there in stores, Connecticut. There ain't a whole lot out there. Um, I went to school there for four years, I can tell you. Um, but it's remarkable the kind of sports legacy that they have built up. Absolutely. And on the basketball side, we have two Hall of Fame coaches. 100%. And, and it's like you said, I mean, winning breeds winning. And, and I think UConn football is right, is, is on the cups of that with, with the right hire. And I think both you and I are really, really looking forward to that whole process and hoping that it pans out. Yeah. And, and Bobby, I just got to say this. I appreciate um, your criticisms of UConn and I appreciate your your focus on some of the, the, the more positive aspects of it um, through your podcast. 
um, it's it's helpful to keep the talk and the chatter up there. Uh, sometimes they say, you know, even negative chatter is good. You know, negative PR is as good as positive PR. But I think there's good things. There are good things out there, and when the new coach. When the new coach comes on, you and I will talk uh, long and hard about it. We'll, Absolutely. We'll, we'll work through it. Absolutely. Well, Michael, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate you coming on. I really, really appreciate the partnership that we have going on and look forward to that continuing. And uh, for fans of the podcast, uh, you can always uh, you can always see my predictions for the weekly games for UConn, uh, a little insight on, on every game. Uh, through the sidelines Yukon uh, Twitter account SSN underscore Yukon you can uh, follow me at our at the Twitter account for the podcast at TNT college foot one and you can follow me personally at coach underscore B will again Michael thanks for coming on my pleasure thank you Bobby we'll talk soon absolutely thanks again everybody for listening God bless <laughs>